Well, the very end of Philippians 1, chapter 1, verse 27 to 30, title of the message is Standing Firm and Unafraid Together. Now, as we finish up this chapter, we need to remember there's two amazing verses in this chapter. Of course, verse 6, we know that one. He who began that good work in you, or we are confident of this very thing, that he who began that good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ. Just like Chuck was mentioning a minute ago, when you believe, you have everlasting life. It's not, oh, believe, and then maybe we'll see if you had genuine faith, if it was a sincere faith, if it was a real faith, if it was enough faith. Maybe you have eternal life. That, that's not the gospel. The gospel we have is you believe on Jesus. It doesn't say what kind of quality. It doesn't say how much. It doesn't say how deep. The Bible does say we're going to grow in our faith. But the moment any amount of faith is in Christ, you shall not perish, but you shall have everlasting life. That's the good news we have. It's certain to all who believe. But not like the Calvinists who will tell you, well, we got to wait to see if you persevere to win till the end. We got to wait till your righteousness, you know, it's a real faith, not an unreal faith, that you really did believe. You didn't just say you believed. You, you know, there's no such thing. We, we, we see the simplest of faith. Uh, the woman at the well, I think she believed in Jesus because he gave her hope. I think at some point down the road, she believed in Jesus because she needed a savior and she needed her sins forgiven. But sometimes people just believe in Jesus because they, they need hope. They need love. They need acceptance. I, I can tell you many stories, especially as a youth pastor, that kids would come to our youth group and they would go home, and, and, and more than one occasion, I'd have a parent tell me my child came home weeping from the youth group because they've never felt so accepted by a group of people before. And they just radically gave their life to the Lord. Well, does that guy believe in Jesus as the Son of God, the, third, the second person of the Trinity, um, the creator of the world? I mean... That's going to come, but this person just said, I'm, I want to be a believer in Jesus because I want to be a lover like that. I want to be an accepting person like that. I want to be able to touch people's lives the way that youth group touched my life. But yes, I, I think we all eventually know how wonderful of a forgiver God is, don't we? And, and boy, I've knocked on that door needing forgiveness probably more than anybody but he gives us hope, gives us comfort, he gives us love, he gives us mercy. He always is kind, even when we absolutely don't deserve it. There's a lot of things that people can believe in Jesus about, but eventually, you know, the thief on the cross, I don't know what he knew, but I just think he saw Jesus being kind and said, Maybe he'll be kind to me as well. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Jesus, does that include me? It, 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 would you forgive me? 
Today you'll be with me in paradise, right? And, and the thief on the cross didn't specifically ask for forgiveness. He just said, today when, when you enter paradise, when he says, after you die, will you remember me? Lord, when you come into your kingdom, would you remember me? Was he believing on Jesus for forgiveness? Maybe. Was he believing on Jesus because, maybe just because he thought Jesus would accept him? And he did. And so we, we know this, that wherever we're at in our pilgrimage, Satan is a condemner. We are condemners. And the, the question is, am I going to make it to heaven? I've been a Christian 30 years, but I don't even know if, if this works and I get finished, if I'm going to actually make it to heaven. That, that's, that's what an unclear gospel does. That's why everybody knows, needs to know John 3.16. For God so loves the world, he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him, maybe, probably, might not perish. What is that? Is that what it says? Just says, shall not perish. End of story. Shall have eternal life. End of story. We believe in a God that if we come and believe in him, whatever weak faith that might be at the beginning, we're going to grow in our faith. But the moment we believe in him, he grabs onto us, he never lets us go. We're in his hand, we're in the Father's hand. All that have come unto him, of them he would lose none but all of them shall be gathered together with him at the end of the age. He who began that good work in us will complete it, right? So Philippians 1.6, we often know that chapter because of that singular verse. Then a couple of weeks ago, we looked at another very well-known verse. Philippians 1.21, For to me is to live, to die is to gain. Man, I can remember in my youth, in these last couple of weeks since I preached this sermon, God has uh, pestered me. That I can remember in my youth following the Lord, and it was just about Jesus. Jesus every second from the moment I woke up, even in my sleep. I, for a time, I, I roomed with my brother at college, and, and many times in the middle of the night, he would start hitting me because I would sit up in bed and just start, lift my hands totally asleep, just crying out to God. Just praying while I was even asleep. And he'd wake me up and say, go back to bed, go back to sleep. But I love that fact that it was just Christ. I don't want an undivided, David pray twice, Lord, give me an undivided heart. Lord, search my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way of everlasting. Lord, I want an undivided heart. And to die, oh, it's going to be to live with Christ. Well, last week we looked at an interesting set of verses where it appears that the Lord said to Paul, Paul, you can come on right now to heaven if you want. Because eventually you're going to get killed in Rome. We know that. But not necessarily this first time. If you want, I'll let you keep living longer if you want. But if you've done more than enough work, you can come on home to be with me right now if you want. It seems like Paul has that choice. I don't know of anybody else in human history that's had that choice. 
But Paul said, I want to go to heaven so bad, but I will continue to live, number one, because I know I'll be fruitful. And two, I know my life will cause you to grow. Boy, are we that certain as Paul is? That my life is going to be fruitful. It's so, there's so often my life is not fruitful. As a matter of fact, it's even sometimes unfruitful. But Paul, man, for him, he was single-minded, had been for decades. He knew his singularity towards God would make him always fruitful, and everything he did would cause others to grow in the Lord. Well, today we pick up in verse 27 to 30. And verse 27 says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whatever I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, and that you stand fast in one spirit, in one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Let only let your conduct, some of the newer translations will, will actually say it, let your citizenship. This here is a word in the Greek that's clearly talking about your patriotic citizenship. In this case, it was to this Roman providence of the, of the Philippi, and they, they were separate from Rome, but they were Roman, but they had their own government. And people were very loyal to that separate government of the Philippi. They, were, you know, they had probably had patriotic uh, uh, clothes on and flags. And, and, and he's saying, as he does say in so many of the epistles, that for us to be equally excited about our heavenly citizenship. I'm going to heaven. I'm excited about being a citizen of heaven. And then he says, worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, so often people read this word worthy and they go, oh, that's it. I know I'm such a sinner. I, I, I wish I weren't such a sinner. I wish I was. I did walk in a way that was more worthy. I, you know, I, I, I wish I was more holy and pure and less greedy and less angry and Man, I, I, I know, and all they read here is God looking at him, pointing his finger, why aren't you holy? Told you to be holy, now stop it. All I've done for you, look at this scar, and look at how unholy you are. I died on the cross, and you're still unholy. That's the way they read the Bible. That is never the case. Even when Jesus preached on earth, people marveled at his gracious words that he spoke. We beheld his glory, glories of the only begotten Father, full of grace and then truth. Not just truth, but grace and then truth. Grace upon grace. It says here, be worthy of the gospel. What is the gospel? Paul tells us in Acts 20, it's grace. So the word worthy is literally a balance. It's saying, you know what the gospel is? The gospel is about God's love for us, about Jesus willing to give everything of his own life because he loves you and wants you to be clean and pure in God's eyes and go to heaven. It's about his kindness. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
It's about his mercy, isn't it? Isn't it the loving kindness and tender mercies of God, Romans 2 says, that leads us to repentance? So walking in a worthy manner of the gospel of Christ would be you're this gracious person, this kind person, this loving person, this hopeful person, this person of faith. And then when you talk about Christ, they're going, yeah, you're, you're the kindest person I know. And you're telling me that's because Jesus has been so kind to you? Yes. His kindness has made me kind. His love has caused me to love. His heart of compassion and mercy has caused me to have a heart of compassion and mercy. So walk in a way that when you preach Christ, they're going, I already know the message of Christ because of the time I spent with you. I can see Jesus clearly. Isn't that amazing? Now, I, I wouldn't want to stop those who preach to say, let there be some tension here with being holy. I, I wouldn't want to exclude that. You know, a guitar has to have pressure on both ends, right? And sometimes as a guitar, we can get out of tune. I can't, I, I'm, not, I'm a musician, my wife's a musician, and, and when I hear an out-of-tune guitar, even a little bit, I can tell. And it's hard for me to enjoy anything when there's an out-of-tune instrument. So sometimes we get out of tune. We get flabby, right? The love of this world, the cares of this life, just start causing us to be flabby spiritually. So we got to get the guitar tuned, and there's some pressure. Ding, 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 ding. Ah, it's going to break. No, the string is not going to break, but you got to go a little higher because you're still flat. There's just times that we need to say to ourselves, I'm not in tune. God's loving me and he's being gracious to me, but I also sense his spirit saying, I need to tune you and it's going to be painful. <laughs> I need to tune you and it's just going to be some tightness and some pressure. But you'll be a lot happier when you're in tune. Amen. We all want to be in tune. So I, I, I would say, okay, let, let's say walking in a manner worthy is to say also that, that we are walking in a way of holiness, that people would also see our righteous life. They would also see a, a godliness in us. You, you know, it says in Luke 12, 48, for unto whomever much has been given of him, shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask more. Isn't that true? We've had, we, we as the United States of America, we probably have enough Bibles to everybody to have one and probably to give one to every person on the planet. That's how many Bibles you have in your house alone. Right? I mean, we have the best preaching in English, the best commentaries in English. I mean, we from America, we have this stockpile of Christianity. But in so much of the world, you won't be cruising through China clicking on the Christian channel. 
You won't be going through India, the second largest population, clicking on a Christian radio station. Those in India right now are the most martyred people on the earth next to Iran. They were bumped up from like a couple of years back from like 15th to 9th in the world, most persecuted Christians. And so we have been given much. And, and so in these last days that we're in, in particular, we need to ask ourselves, am I in tune? Am I walking worthy? A matter of fact, that verse I just said, to whom much is given, much is required, it's actually in context of Jesus talking about the last days. Let's look in context at this. And, and, and if you're not there, look to Luke chapter 12, verse 35 to 48. Paul says to Timothy, give yourself to the reading of Scripture. So let's read the whole Gospel of Luke here, or <laughs> at least half of it. In Luke chapter 12, verse 35 to 48, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or third watch and find them so blessed are those servants. Servants ready for the master's return and they're awake and, and no matter when he comes, they're right there at the door opening, it, opening the door to them. And the master will come in so thankful he'll serve them. Now the second part of that in verse 59, another picture, a story analogy but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allow the house to be broken into. Now, here's the next one. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. In verse 41, Peter said to him, Lord, do you speak of the parable about only us, the 12 apostles? Or are you talking about all people? Just to let you know, he answers it. All people. This is for all people. In verse 42, the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise steward? So all people, and hopefully you are one of the faithful and wise stewards, whom his master will make ruler over his household to give them their portion of food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. But if that servant says in his heart, my master's delaying his coming, he begins to beat the male female servants and eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he's not looking for and an hour when he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant whom knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know yet committed things deserving of stripes shall be beaten with few. And here's the verse we started with. To everyone to whom much is given, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. Later in Luke, in chapter 21, again talking about last days. Take heed, he says in Luke 21, verse 34 and 35. Take heed to yourself. Lest, number one, 
your hearts be weighed down with carousing, partying, or drunkenness, or, notice this here, amoral, just the cares of this life. We just get like the hamster on the round little thing going around and around and around. We just get, we think we're running and accomplishing something, but when we get off the the little uh, round thing, we, we haven't gone anywhere. And that day come upon you unexpectedly. For it will come as a snare to all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Well, I should add something that Paul says specifically. In Romans 13, 11 through 14, speaking to all the believers. And do this knowing the time that now is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. If that applies to you. Just let that be a word of the Lord to you right now. That his coming soon, guys. And, and so don't say I wasn't warned. You've been warned. Get rid of the works of darkness. And let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day. Not in rivalry and drunkenness and lewdness and lust. Not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provisions for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Wow. We should stop right here a minute. Lord, we come to you right now and we say, Lord, search our hearts. See if there be any wicked ways in us, Lord. Is there some works of darkness, of lust that need to be put away? Forgive us, Lord. Is there any area of drunkenness or just uh, lewdness or licentiousness creating, saying that law doesn't apply to me, that what Christians should do doesn't mean I have to do it, even though I'm a Christian. Lord, we come back and ask God, are there's works of darkness? And then, Lord, help us to put you on, seek you in the word, meditate on it day and night, seek you in prayer, seek you with a whole heart, not a divided heart. Lord, do that work in us, that we are men and women of God, lights to the world, salt of the earth, and fulfilling our ministry in every way that you'd have. In Jesus' name. Well, we'll continue on here in this verse 27. That whether I come and see you or am absent. So Paul says, you should be living the same life, not just when I show up, everybody stops doing this, starts doing this, and, you know, everybody's, everybody's at church. You know, Paul comes, everybody comes. And then Paul leaves town and 25% of the church shows up. Or... The prayer meeting's packed when Paul's leading the prayer meeting. And when Paul's not leading the prayer meeting, only three people show up. He, he's saying that it shouldn't change when you feel somebody in authority is watching and, and you're more excited about the Lord or you're pressing into the Lord or you're, you're, you're showing a more fervor and zealousness in your faith when somebody is there seeing that, it shouldn't be the case, whether I see you or absent, either way. There's a great quote that says, who you really are is the person you are when you are alone or you think no one is watching. So if you were just to do this, let's take the moments in your life where you've been alone, nobody's around, and we take all those little video clips of your life and then we put it together as one movie of when you're only alone. 
Who is that person? Is he different than the person we know? This is where he is saying that, that we need to, to be the person of God for God. I often say to young people that are not really connecting in the church, or sometimes pastors that are no longer pastors, and I say to the young people, now that you're becoming adults, you have to figure out why you do what you do and why you don't do what you don't do. It's not because your parents are making you anymore. You're going off to college. I, I hope that the person you've been under the care of your parents and under care of the church you've grown up in will look the same when you are in a different city with a different group of people. Or pastors, I, I know you've been going to church because you're paid to do it, but now will you just be a regular, ordinary Joe at church? Are you, are you going to be a radical Christian in that church? It, it there's, has to work out things, doesn't there? And I know every decade of my life, I've had to figure out why I do what I do. When I was in my teens versus in my 20s versus in my 30s, when I had a house full of kids, when I had no kids, what did I do? Well, Paul is in essence saying, I may hear of your affairs, so I'm going to find out the truth. <laughs> I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to inquire. I will know the truth about this. And even, I might add, even if he's in heaven. You guys remember in Revelation 2, I'm not going to read it, but in Revelation 2, he's, the Lord says to the Ephesian church, in essence, you're not the church. When Paul was the, as when Paul was the pastor. You're not the same church that you were when Paul could get out of prison and come and visit you guys for a few weeks or months. You, you, you know, doctrinally, you guys are a bunch of students. I'm glad about that. But he says, you left your first love. A lot of times, and I've heard pastors even say this, you've lost your first love. It does not say that. They didn't lose it. They left it. They replaced it with another greater love. And Jesus says, you've got to love me more than your wife, your husband, your kids, your parents, even your own life. You've got to love God first. And the second thing you love is light years between. <laughs> Loving God and seeking him first and his righteousness and his kingdom. The second thing that you love, your wife, your husband, your kids, it's got to still, they can't be close. It's like, well, some days it's my wife, some days it's God. Some days it's my kids, some days it's God. No, there's never a question that your love for God is first. And then he says, now to stand fast. Or I, I like it translated better, stand firm. Boy, I, I think of, of this because now he's talking to them as soldiers. You got to stand firm. I love thinking of those mighty men of David, Eleazar. Remember this? Everybody ran away, but he held on to his sword. And he fought the entire army of the Philistines by himself. And he won. And when the battle was over, the sword clung to him. It like, became a part of him. They probably had to give him some Gatorade and massage his fingers. And over a period of time, they were finally able to unlock those muscles. Such incredible standing firm. 
and, and not giving up. And then I think of Shama, another guy who was in the lentil field. I hate lentils, but, you know, this is your portion of the battle line. And soon as the Philistines showed up, there were so many, everybody fled. But Shama dug in, and he did not leave that field. And he killed all the Philistines by himself and brought about a great victory. And then Benaniah, one of the top of the three, he was a man of valor, but he comes from a lineage where his dad was equally. We don't know about his dad's exploits, but his own dad was as equally a valiant man. He killed two lion-like heroes from Moab. Not one, but he took on both, these great warriors. And then he also killed a lion. That's, that's impressive, but he killed it on a snowy day while the lion was in a pit. So evidently, this lion was killing the people of the village or whatever. They dug a hole and the lion fell in there, but he could have got out. But he said, I can't reach him, so I'm going to go down into the hole. And he fought the lion in the hole on a snowy day and won. And then after that, he, he ended up having to fight two lion-like men uh, of Moab, as I mentioned. And then he killed a real lion. And then he killed an Egyptian who was a spectacular warrior. And it just so happens he was out on a, rock, a walk, so he had no military weapons with him. He just had a staff that he was walking with. And this guy shows up, and he is a warrior, a huge warrior, spectacular man, has a spear, and he wrestles the spear out of this great Egyptian warrior's hands with a staff, and then he kills that Egyptian with his own spear. These guys did not back down. No matter what the odds were, they stood fast. They stood firm. Paul makes it clear here. It's not just one person doing this. It's everybody in the church family having that same spirit. There's not one or two or three mighty men of valor. Everybody is a mighty man of valor. He says now being of one spirit or with one mind, or the word mind also is translated soul. One spirit and one soul. He's talking about unity. He's not talking about a singular person being a hero. He's saying that everybody's arms are linked. It's not Shama by himself in the lentil field. It's all, everybody linked together. We are all standing together. Nobody's fleeing. Paul says something similar in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you, walk worthy of the calling which you were called. Here it is again. He says this in almost every epistle. But notice how he wants them to walk worthy in Ephesians, how do you walk worthy? Being lowly, humble, being gentle, being patient, long-suffering, bearing with one another, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Do you hear what he's saying? Walk in a manner worthy by not letting anything take you away from being unified as a group of believers. So stand firm. I mean, all of you together stand firm. And then he says the last sentence there, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Again, striving how? Together. 
this word striving and then it's, it's putting it in a plural form. It's literally the word to be in a contest together, an athletic concert. So Paul is saying this is a team sport. Christianity is a team sport. That's literally what he's saying here. Or this church is a unified group of soldiers, a band of brothers and sisters, striving together for the faith of the gospel. As we unify is when we're going to see the growth of the body. Go back and read the book of Acts when it says, and the church was multiplied, and the church was added to. You'll find right before that phrase, it'll say, together in unity, they had the same heart, same mind, and then God blessed and added to the church. Well, verse 28 here. And not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation, and that from God. Interesting verse. I, I've actually at times quoted this verse to other pastors. And they're like, where is that verse? I don't believe it's in the Bible. I don't never heard that verse. And I say it's in Philippians 1, and I read it to you. I've never seen that verse before. I've even taught Philippians. I don't remember this verse. So hopefully you guys will remember this verse. When the enemy comes, you're not afraid. And when you're not afraid, there's a strong message to, about their destruction. Isn't that interesting? The word terrified there is like a horse being startled and creating a stampede. Don't be startled and afraid. Oh, and all of a sudden you cause a, a stampede. No, don't, don't let the enemy startle you. Boy, we, we learned in Ephesians 6, the first step to spiritual warfare is realize you're in spiritual warfare. Until you realize you're in spiritual warfare, you're fighting with flesh and blood and you're not, you're not getting anywhere close to, to winning. The word adversaries here is anybody that lines up against you. So it's talking about human enemies, those who are against you and what you believe and your stand for Christ, and devils standing against you either way. So don't be terrified by men who are aggressive and evil towards you or demons that are aggressive and evil towards you. Don't show any fear whatsoever. This will prophesy and speak of their impending destruction. Doing what? Standing firm and not being afraid speaks of their utter destruction. David Guzik says, when Christians stand strong against intimidation against the world, the flesh, and the devil, it shows those spiritual enemies that their ultimate destruction is certain. He also says, when our spiritual enemies fail to make us afraid, they have failed completely because they really have no weapons other than fear and intimidation. So often we lose the battle, not because we really lost the battle. It's because we got afraid and didn't fight the battle. Or we just flew down under the radar and just said, okay, let other Christians fight them. <laughs> let other Christians be strong. I'll just hide out over here and, 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 and try to escape the battle. No. He, he's saying it does two things. When you're standing firm and not afraid, it lets the devil, it reminds the devil you are going to be destroyed at the end. He doesn't remember that. He is so self-deluded 
that he really believes most of the time he's going to win at the end. But when he sees you little puny Christians toe-to-toe with him, unafraid, not intimidated, standing firm, he's like, those guys are strong in the Lord, and if I can't take them down, I'm doomed. That's what it's saying. And I would say, honestly, this is true towards man as well. Standing before a confident person is a powerful thing, isn't it? Paul's own testimony would eventually be this very thing. Do you guys remember what happened at the very end, the second time he was imprisoned? From this imprisonment, he's at at this time, we're reading about in the Philippians and Colossians and Ephesians, where he was in prison, he got released. We know this at the end of the book of Acts. And he got to go preach the gospel without any hindrance, had just a, the best time ever in ministry. The Lord just protected him on every side. But then he got rearrested and went back and eventually was murdered. Second Timothy is the final letter of Paul. And in 2 Timothy 4, 16 to 18, he said, at my first defense, no one stood with me. They were afraid, didn't want to be guilty by association. But all forsook me. That's Luke and Silas and, oh, may it not be charged against them. God, I'm not saying that. Just overlook it, forgive them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. He, didn't, he wasn't saying here, I'm going to never be killed by anybody. Quite the opposite. Look in the next passage in 2 Timothy 4, 6-8. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So Paul's in prison. He probably looks horrible. He's in a weakened state. And not anybody is there to give him support. But he stands firm, unafraid, speaking to Nero himself. And all those people listening, he preached the gospel fully without any compromise, without any intimidation, any fear. And then he goes on to say, this salvation comes from the Lord. It's the Lord stood with me. The Lord gave me the ability to stand firm. The Lord gave me the ability to not be afraid. James tells us, therefore, submit to God, number one, be under God's perfect will. Resist the devil and what? He'll flee from you. We learn now, not only does he flee from you when you resist him, but he's reminded of his ultimate destruction. That's almost the best part of it, isn't it? And James, our Jesus words to us today, I believe, are this in Luke 12, 32. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not. Stand firm. Throw me in jail. Beat me. Stone me. Saw me in two. Don't back down. 
All, we, are, we are constantly a step behind Europe. And right now, all through Europe, yes, our NATO allies, those that we are linked to, there are dozens of pastors that are in jail, five-year minimum, ser- um, minimum sentence. For you know what? Reading Romans 1 about homosexuality. Their churches were demolished, taken away, and they were imprisoned. You know where else that's happened? Canada. Our next door neighbors. I, I, I know we don't hear a lot about it, but it's a very real thing. And so when they tell you there's going to be a price if you go to church, we've got to stand firm. We can't say, well, I'll just, you know, I'll watch it from home secretly, you know. No. We've we got to say, yeah, if I get thrown in prison, I get thrown in prison. If they kill me in prison, then I get killed in prison. I'm, I'm not going to back down. In Philippians 1 now, verse 29 and 30, as we finish up, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also equally so to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now see in me. So you've been saying, poor Paul, Lord, strengthen poor Paul. And Paul's saying, guess what? Other people are going to be praying for you because you're going to get the same sentence I've gotten. You're going to get the same situation I've gotten. Many of you in Philippi are going to get put in jail, taken to the gladiator's arena and killed by a gladiator or a lion. You're going to have this same difficulty, but be proud. It doesn't happen for a lot of Christians. Matter of fact, I think most Christians... In the last 2,000 years, I think the majority of Christians have not really had to suffer for their faith. You know why? Because getting to suffer for your faith is a special gift from God. Wow. Did you get that? It's something just like calling you to salvation. You, you believe because of the grace of God. That was a gift, isn't it? Is salvation a gift? He says, in the same way, those who get to suffer for Christ, it's a gift for me, like salvation was a gift for me. So here we are in America over 200 years. Our forefathers, nor we, nor our parents, have been persecuted for our faith. Well, the time may come, and you can join an amazing group of people. Not a large group of people a minority group of people that have been martyred for their faith, imprisoned, tortured, put in horrible situations to deny Christ. And if that happens to you, you are beaten, you are persecuted, you can't get into college or you lose your job or they, don't want, they, they try to push you out of the apartment complex or whatever it is, stop And thank the Lord that he has allowed you to be counted in a very small club of those who have been able to suffer for his name's sake. So he he says, be joyful. (laughs) Be joyful you're in this club. I'm not saying you're going to be in the club to say, yeah, yeah, think I'm horrible. You're going to be horrible too. You're going to be in the same. No, he's saying rejoice. 
Rejoice that you are being privileged by God. Think of all the verses on this. There's so many. I, I could only put a small portion of them. But in Matthew 5, 10 through 12, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you, persecute you, say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Rejoice, because you're in a, a special rewards club. You're the VIP rewards club in heaven. <laughs> In Acts 5, verse 40 to 41, and when they had called for the apostles, they beat them, they commanded them not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore, they let him go, and they departed from the presence of the council, and what was the apostles? They, they knew what Jesus' teachings was. They rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name's sake. They said, Jesus told us to rejoice because this is a special club to get to be in, and, and he's counted you to be in that club. Of course, all the apostles eventually got in that club, didn't they? John, they boiled him in oil. It didn't kill him, so they put him on the island of Patmos. But in, in Romans eight seventeen, for since we, since we are children, the heirs and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, we shall also be what? Glorified together with him. In 2 Timothy 2.12, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. Wow, we're going to be glorified with, with Jesus who was persecuted for righteousness sake and eventually died for our sins. We will be glorified together with him. We will reign with him. In 1 Peter 2, verse 20 and 21, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. You know the verses after this, right? When they cursed at him, he did not curse back. When they reviled him, he did not revile back but he committed him to the Father. And we know what that was, don't we? Father, forgive him. They know not what they do. They were committed to the Father by Christ. And uh, in 1 Peter 3.14, but if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. In 1 Peter 4.16, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. The shame is like, I'm in with all these common criminals, like Jesus was on the cross with common criminals. And you're associated with people that are horrible, criminal people, and everybody assumes you're a criminal also. But I have had this dream on more than one occasion where I get put in prison for being a Christian. And I walk down the prison, you know when they go down the aisle and all the prisoners try to get you intimidated? And just walking with firmness and courage and just, God bless you, God bless you. And, and then people say, why are you here? Christ has sent me to be a witness to you here in prison. Well, what did you do wrong? Oh, I did everything right. I stood firm when others didn't. I did not back down. I was not intimidated when they told me, if you don't shut up, 
if I don't quit witnessing, that I'm going to be put in prison. And so I did not. I preached even more. I stood and, and screamed even the louder. And of course, they're going to put me in prison. Don't be ashamed. You're going to be glorified. You're going to reign with Christ. I think of Moses, man. What an example he was, especially the way Hebrews 11, 24 through 26 describes it. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Noah's daughter, choosing rather to what? Suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, Christ and him crucified, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Wow, what a statement. Our final part of the end of verse 30 here, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. This word conflict, agon, is the root of us getting our word agony or to agonize. But in the Greek, it's actually talking about the contest and the place where the contest is held. So Paul, and actually the way they would read this, it would be saying the same Olympic sports that you're observing, that you're watching, you're at the arena, you're at the arena watching, that you see in me, and now here to be in me is going to be in you. So Paul said, I'm a spectacle. I, I could imagine when they took the Christian, they have the lion running around in the gladiator's box and they push the Christian out the door. And you hear this 30,000 people screaming and cheering. And maybe you're naked. Maybe they throw you a little stick and you're there. Everybody's screaming and yelling and you're watching the lion pacing back and forth coming your way. He's saying, yeah, I'm a spectacle, but I'm not ashamed. I'm a spectacle for, for Christ. But Christ was a spectacle. Was not Christ a spectacle when he was on the cross? Yeah. They, they make you look stupid. They make you look weak. They make you look wrong. They make you look like you're the one that's hurting our community. You're the one hurting our country. The what you believe in is hurting us. And we've asked you to stop. We were trying to be civil about it, but you wouldn't. So now we're going to embarrass you. We're going to imprison you. We're going to put you in a situation that's very dangerous that might even kill you. And he's saying, don't, don't walk in there and start feeling like a criminal. Don't walk in there and start feeling like you did something wrong. Well, I do sort of have a loud mouth. My parents have been telling me that since I was five years old. Well, I was a little aggressive with them. I maybe should have been uh, more gracious. You know, don't, don't start doing that. It has nothing to do with this. This is spiritual. God has called you not only to believe in him, but he's also called you to have a greater testimony. Remember that which pierced Apostle Saul's heart the most, who later became Paul? When he saw Stephen being stoned to death, he was holding all of the garments of those who were stoning him. And he was pierced through the heart. When Stephen, like Jesus, just loved on them, even as he was being stoned. 
And then finally, he looked and said, I see Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. And he went to sleep, it says. He died from the stoning. That so affected Paul. I wonder if it took such a seed to break such a hard heart. And so our persecution, our suffering for standing up being a Christian is for a reason, not just bad luck on your part. Why can't I be one of those lucky Christians that never get persecuted for being a Christian? Every time I stand up for Christ, I look like a fool. They make me feel like a fool. I feel like, no. Let's be bold, right? Let's not back down. Lord, we thank you for your word today, and we know it is such a word in season for all of us. We do know, Lord, that you have brought us here to be washed in the water of the word, to prune us. We, we sensed it today. There were some points where you were cutting and the sap, the blood, was coming. You tuned us up and we could feel the tension and wondered if it was going to break. But yet, Lord, you have torn us that you might heal us. And we receive that in the name of Jesus. Let your word right now be a two-edged sword that pierces our hearts so deeply that we might know the thoughts and the intents of our heart as you know them, that we could be holy and righteous, full of love and mercy and kindness and forgiveness, and just like you and your gospel of grace is, Lord, that good news, let us be that very essence. To see us, to hear us, is hearing the gospel. Knowing you, seeing you, we lay it all at your feet in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. All right. The Lord is good, isn't he?